Guys, um, I'll ask you to grab your Bibles uh, just before James comes up with the sermon. Uh, we're going to do the Bible reading, and it's found in the chap in uh, Luke chapter 12, and we're going to start reading from verse 49. So Luke chapter 12, verse 49, down to chapter 13, verse 9. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffer this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think... They were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Thanks, Daniel, for reading God's word for us. And just like Daniel, I want to encourage you, uh, please, if you haven't already on our online service, please check in. We'd love to know that you're watching. It encourages me, it encourages the team, but it's also a great way in this moment of lockdown as it gets tired, and we're going to be in this for a few more months yet. It's a, a great way where we can care for one another. So please do that. And, and it's exciting. There's many things coming up that we're going to do as a church during this lockdown season where I want you to join us. But today we're going to continue our sermon series in Journeying with Jesus. And, and, and Daniel read for us a tough passage. So I'm going to ask God in prayer now to help us um, as we come to this passage today. Please join me. Father God, your word is true. It's a, it's a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our path. 
Father, there's parts of Scripture that are easier, there's other parts that are complex, and there's other parts that are just hard to hear. Almighty God, through your Spirit, work powerfully in our lives, convict us, change us, Lord, and may we see the beauty and the wonder of repentance in this time. Father, we need your help. I need your help now. Father, take away the distractions and the moments. Lord, help us not to get distracted by news right now. Help us not to get distracted by thinking about having to teach our kids from home this week. Please help us not to get distracted by work or even being distracted by living on our own. But Father, you're the God of all comfort. Lord, comfort us now in this moment. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, I pray that you'll change us mightily today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every day, 11 a.m., it's Gladys Hour. Well, I'm calling it Gladys Hour, where you know most of New South Wales, they tap in, they turn the TV on, they look on Facebook, and they want to hear the latest news about COVID in New South Wales. It's, a, it's an hour that, in a way, like the, the Melbourne Cup, it's, a, it's, it's the time each day that stops, not the nation, but it, it stops New South Wales, because we, we want to know what's going on. We're in a moment where, where here in Sydney, where we're locked down. We're in a moment where many of us can't even leave our LGAs. But what are we to do in a moment like this? What are we to think about at this time? Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're exhausted. And maybe even you're emotionally tired as well. But uh, there is one thing I've noticed with myself. You know, I can read the weather and you know, decide what I'm going to wear that day. But also I'm starting to realize that as I you know, listen or as I start to keep a tabs on what Gladys is sharing with us each day at 11 a.m., I'm starting to know what's going to come next. We, we sort of had the hunch, didn't we? We could read the time that, yeah, we're going to go into lockdown for even longer. You know, and I could get the hunch on Thursday that yeah, I think we're going to have more LGAs put down in the lockdown. I got a hunch that, that the lockdown wasn't going to finish at the end of July. But what are we to do at this time? What are we to do in this moment? Last week, we, we, thought, we thought about what is to be on a horizon. And what's meant to be on a horizon is the return of Christ. Like the week before that, we, we saw what it meant to journey to treasure, how we get the things of this world and we want to treasure and have more abundance of those things. And Jesus says, no, you fool. Be rich towards God. Seek the kingdom. We worry about what we're going to wear. We worry about what we're going to eat. We worry about the clothes on our back and whether we have designer clothes. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. Look how well I care for them. And yet you're so much more valuable than them. Seek the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to continue that. Last, last week, we saw it was journey and service. We saw it was journey um, towards treasure, journey to treasure in the first week. But today we're going to see another journey here. As Jesus has his eyes fixed towards the cross. See, in chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus, he turns his head towards Jerusalem and he's on a mission and he starts to head that way. And so as we read from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see Jesus's path. But at the same time as that, we see what it means for him to bring the kingdom of God in. We see what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We see what it means to be authentic disciples and how that shapes and changes our world. Well, it actually shapes, changes our world that we live in and how we view it. And so today we're going we're gonna to be refocused. Jesus is going to speak very frankly 
to his disciples. And he's going to speak very frankly to the crowds about the time that they live in. And just like the time that the disciples and the crowds that were listening to Jesus in, in Luke chapter 12 and 13, it's the same time for us as well. So he's, he's going to be telling us about the time of how we walk on earth. How Jesus, he goes to the cross, how he ascended into heaven and we await in the now not yet as we await Christ's return. We live in that time. And Jesus is going to show us some stark realities. He's going to be truthful. He's going to be real with us today so that we face reality. And as you look around during lockdown, what are you to think of? As we sit in our chairs or as we get out for our hours exercise or whatever it might be, as we look around the world and the time that we live in, what are we to think? Well, four things for us today. The first thing we see is it's a time of division. It's a time of division. Have a look at verse 39. You're going to need your Bibles. Grab them as we look at it. And Jesus says it's a time of division. In verses 49 to 53. Have a look there at verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. What is Jesus saying there? That, that's, that's like, whoa. The disciples have just heard about being ready in service. Serve Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus. Be ready. Don't be lazy, but be ready for my return. And then he says, but I've also come to bring fire on earth. He says, look forward to the day when Jesus returns, he says to his disciples. And here he says, and I have come to bring fire on that day. What's Jesus talking about? Well, the idea of calling down fire, the idea of fire coming down from heaven in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's, it's an image, it's, it's, it's to allude and it tells us of divine judgment. It is a picture of the divine judgment of God. And here Jesus is saying, I have come to bring divine judgment. And how I wish it was already here. How I wish I'd already, it was already kindled. Now we see this idea of when, when fire comes down from heaven, it's, it's God's divine judgment. We see it in Isaiah 66. We see it in Amos. We see it in Ezekiel. We see it through the Bible, this picture of divine judgment. And yet this picture of Jesus bringing divine judgment is a picture that it's, it's actually a bit foreign to us. It's different to what we are confronted by often in the world. Often what the secular world portrays Jesus as, and even sometimes what the church may portray Jesus at, doesn't always include divine judgment. It's softly spoken Jesus. Jesus who loves all the little children, they come and they sit. The secular world often says Jesus is a man of love, compassion, mercy, peace. And Jesus is those things. Harmony. That's who Jesus is meant to be. But what we're going to get here is we're going to get a moment where we're going to have Jesus real and raw with us. See, not only is he the Prince of Peace, 
but he's also the judge. I am. Um, I love Revelation. In Revelation chapter 19, we, we see this picture. I saw the heavens standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. This, it's talking about Jesus. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is a picture of Jesus the divine judge that when he comes back a second time, he's going to come back to judge. And Jesus is saying, here's, I am the divine judge. See, that, that language of fire, it's, it's speaking of divine judgment and justice. But before that, Jesus says, before that, there needs to be a baptism. Have a look at verse 50. But... I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it's completed. Jesus says, I've got a baptism to undergo first and I am got my eyes set on it. That baptism that Jesus is talking about here is going to the cross. It's, he's, he's, he's speaking of his, his crucifixion, his death, his burial and his resurrection where the divine judgment of God will pour his wrath on his son. Jesus is saying, but before that, before that, I have to have a baptism to undergo. There's a day coming when Jesus will return. But I'm going to go and receive the divine justice as well first at the cross. See, Jesus doesn't say all leads or all roads or paths lead to God. Jesus doesn't say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Jesus doesn't say, well, most people are good and as long as you've fed the poor, as long as you look out for others, as long as you haven't actually hurt anyone else, it's, it's going to be okay. Justice will be sought. But you, you get to verse 51. Let's have a look at verse 51 and verse 52. That's even more confronting. Have a, have a look. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Now, at, at Christmas time, we sing carols, don't we? Peace on earth. We talk about the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9. Do you think I come to bring peace on earth? And what does Jesus say? Um, no, I tell you about division. I bring division. From now on, there will be five in one family, divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against... Jesus, he comes and he divides. He actually even affects the closest of human relationships between a father and a son. Now, it's not saying that it's always going to affect it, but it can come down to that level where it will divide a father and a son and a mother and a daughter. And yet Jesus, 
He says, I haven't come to bring peace. But yeah, what do, you, what, what do we do with passages in like Luke chapter 1, verse 79, where it says, guide our feet into paths of peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, he is the prince of peace. Imagine at Christmas time, instead of saying, you know, peace on earth and tidings, we say, Jesus is going to bring fire, divine judgment. You know, it's, imagine sitting there with your candles in the air, <laughs> seeing that. But what do we do with that? So yeah, Jesus, Jesus speaks of bringing peace. But he also speaks of bringing division as well at the same time. See, Jesus does bring peace. He, he's brought peace. He's reconciled us to God the Father. Through him, we have a vertical relationship brought back to peace. We were at war with God. But now through Jesus, he's brought peace. But also on a, on a horizontal, we have some reconciled relationships. But also one day when Jesus returns the second time, when Jesus comes back, he is going to bring peace where the lion and the lamb will sit down together. But in this moment, yes, we can have peace with God, but he also brings division. As you look around in lockdown, what are you to think? Well, what are you to think about the time that we're in? Well, we're in a time of division. See, Jesus divides. See, You've seen it with a Muslim who comes to Jesus, who finds Christ's gospel, his good news, and he turns to Christ and trusts in him or she trusts in him. What happens? It divides the family. That inner, that inner city worker who has been working in a big company comes to Christ. And next thing, his workers aren't inviting him out on a Friday night for a meal and drinks. You hear of Christians in closed countries who are not only persecuted, but they're actually martyred, they're killed and murdered because they're Christians. It, the gospel brings division. But it, it even can bring a little division to Christians as well. It can, it can actually bring division in a Christian family where you know, a, a father or a mother, they're, they're very happy for their child to go to Sunday school, very happy for their child to go to youth group. We just want our child to be saved, right? We want them to love and serve Jesus, but, but that's it. We, we don't want them to go overseas in the mission field. Or, or the grandparents who, who want their grandkids to grow up and love and serve Jesus, but no, 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 well, we didn't move to this country for you to give up that degree and that uni degree. We didn't work so hard for you to go, no, I'm not going to go that direction, but I'm going to go into ministry for Jesus. It can bring division. Or to think that your son or your daughter would give away 10 years of their, their working career. Or, or to think, yeah, 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 I want my children or my friends to know Jesus, but I, I don't want them to sacrificially serve. See, as you look around during this time of lockdown, what are we to think? We're, we're to think that we're, we're actually in a time of division. It's going to be a time of division. But secondly, it's also going to be a time to settle. It's a time to settle. Because, see, why does Jesus bring division? Why is it a time to settle? Have a look at verse 54. He said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. 
Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? What Jesus is just saying, you know how to read the weather and yet you can't read the present time we're in. You know, you know how to respond to the weather correctly. I've got three lovely boys. I'm a bit like me, you know, when you're young, you don't worry about the temperature outside. And so one of our childs, let me just say it was our eldest, our eldest son, is he would wear shorts all year round to school. And when we were living in Forbes, we, it gets a bit cold. And we didn't, he, no, I don't want to wear shorts. And so we didn't know what to do with this. And so we came up with a plan. We said, okay, eldest son, I said, why don't you check the weather every day? And when it gets below 16 degrees, you, you have to wear pants or trackies to school right so at least it gave him a benchmark so every day he'd come in he'd read the weather he'd check out the weather he'd look at the temperature and go ah oh, 20 it's going to be tw maximum it's going to be a maximum of 21 today mum so i'm going to wear my shorts even if it had been zero and or minus one with a frost that morning if the maximum temperature is going to be 17 dad i'm going to wear my shorts but when i got to 16 yeah. and so the, the, they can read the weather and so it affects what you do now these, these people, they can read the weather really well, but they can't see and read what's in front of them. You hypocrites, Jesus says to me, you, you know how to read the time. You know how to read the weather, but you can't read the time that you're in. You can't even see what's standing in front of you. You know, and many of them would have had the Old Testament but spoke of a day when the Messiah would come to Samuel, chapter 7, a, a king on David's throne who would rule forever. Isaiah chapter 9, the Prince of Peace. We can even go back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3, where it speaks of Jesus. Now, he doesn't say Jesus' name, but this is who it's pointing to. See, God, the Lord God, he's speaking to the serpent. Adam and Eve have just rebelled. They've eaten the fruit. And he says, I'm going to put division between you. I'm going to make it hostile between you and the woman, says God. Between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. What, what God Almighty is saying, there's going to be a seed from Eve who's going to come and going to crush your head. And what do we know who that seed is? Here is that seed in Luke chapter 12. He's going to crush Satan, the curse. Wow. But why? But why is there division? Well, there's, there's division because of this chapter of Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden in God's paradise and God is their ruler and they, he, he reigns and they are to submit under his beautiful rule. And he says, just don't eat from that tree. And what do they do? They eat from the tree. They say, no, God, we know better. We're not going to come under your rule and your reign and sin enters the world. We rebelled. Why is there division? The reason we have division in the world is because of sin. And as we are confronted with Jesus, there is division because Jesus is God. We are, we, we are confronted with Jesus, which brings division because Jesus is God. And therefore, we are to submit to his rule and reign. And we go, no, we do not want to submit to Jesus. 
What we see throughout the New Testament is we see Jesus' willingness. Here in this passage, we see Jesus' willingness to go through the baptism of divine judgment to deliver people from the clasps of hell and from God's wrath. And yet at the same time, it reveals to us our unwillingness to be saved. The crowd here is unwilling. It's right, we're all good with you, God. I'm good, it's fine, and we'll worry about it on that day when you return. We don't like to face the reality that we deserve justice from God. We're happy that Hitler gets it, because he did some pretty bad stuff. We're happy that God will bring justice for Ivan Milat. But no, I'm pretty good, so I don't need you, Jesus. You know, I'm a good person. Well, I'm better than others. And yet I want to ask the question, deep down, you have a sense of justice. We all have a sense of justice. We want justice to be sought, especially when something happens to us. We want to see other people brought to justice. Here's an example of what I mean by that. Deep down, we all want justice. Last weekend, a protest happened in Sydney during lockdown. People protested because they said it's our right not to be in, in lockdown. But I read this week, so I'm not taking any views of whether it should or shouldn't happen or whether it should be locked down. Let's not get into a political point about that. But what I want to share is what I found so interesting about that is that this week I read that Crime Stoppers this week received over 10,000 reports from that riot or that protest. Isn't that interesting that, you know, I reckon three or four years ago Aussies would not have done that. But in this moment, as we are locked down, as we are stuck in our LGAs, as people gone, how dare you do that? They've gone, you know what? We want justice. And so people rang up Crime Stoppers seeking justice. But then on the other side, those who went to the protest last Saturday, last weekend, those who went to protest, what were they doing? They were seeking justice. They had a sense of justice going, we want things. We don't believe we should be in lockdown. Why? They're saying, well, why should we? Okay, so we've got those who have run up crime stoppers going, we need justice. We've got those who went for that march last weekend going, we want justice. So where do we go with this? It leaves us with a problem. It leaves us with a problem. Have a look at verse 57. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Look at those words of Jesus. What's Jesus saying here? Here's what he's saying. I'll, I'll put it in a different term. I'll try and put it in a different way. Ronald. Ronald's a 22-year-old bloke and he's got a corner shop and he goes down there and he steals milk, eggs, bread and chocolate. He steals it and he walks out. Ronald gets caught. He's got to go to court. He's going to come before a judge. 
Problem is, with Ronald, he's guilty. Um, the CVT camera, the person in the shop had a camera on their phone and he always goes shopping there and so he is truly guilty so that if he's brought before the judge, he's going to be found guilty. But what does Ronald do? They, they talk with the other, the, the other side and they have a little, little meeting in a different room and they settle it and he never goes to, to court. Because if, if Ronald went to court, he would be surely found guilty, without a doubt. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, settle it now. It's a time to settle. And imagine, you know, like, like, like those protesters or like those who ring up crime stoppers and, and who, who go, we want a sense of justice, we want a sense of justice, but we have an almighty God who's seen everything you have ever done, who's seen everything and truly knows what truly happened, who's seen everything in its true light, who is just and will always put things right. Imagine what he's going to do on that day. None of us will be able to bat an eyelid. All of us will be found guilty. None of us are going to be able to turn up in that courtroom and go, I, I might get off. Some of you watching right now might be going, it's okay, yes, I believe I've done wrong, but you know what, before I die, I'll, I'll hopefully have done enough to get right with God. No, that won't even count for all of us. If we get to that room, we will be found guilty. And Jesus is saying, you know, the time is short. You're in a time now. You need to settle things with God now before that day. You need to settle it. Settle it out of court. Make peace now with God, says Jesus. Now you can't make the peace. Only Jesus can make the peace for you. So the one who will come back one day to be the judge and to judge all things and to bring all things to true justice is also the same one who can set you free today because he went through the, the baptism of divine judgment. The same judgment that he faced at the cross, he will pour out on those who are not right with God when he returns. As you look around, as we think about the world and their circumstances, just like the first century, Jesus is saying, you know, it's a time of division, but it's also a time to settle. You need to settle things with God. See, the world is blinded to the fact that they need to settle with God. And Jesus is saying, settle before it's too late. See, this is a passage that I, it's, it's a passage that should drive us. It should drive us towards mission. Because we have a world that is blinded. They do not know of this day. Some do and some are ignoring it. Some go, it's okay, I can settle it one day. But no, it should drive us as a church. It should drive us individually. Go, no, people need to know about this. I've been reading this week about what it means to be Baptist, to have Baptist distinctive. What's, what's central and things that have shaped and formed the denomination? And one of those things is mission. And it talks about William Carey, who in 1793, he sailed to India because he knew of the lost. Their need to settle things with God before it's too late. Because when we die and we are there in that courtroom, we have got nothing. And we will be found guilty. So as you look around, it's a time to settle. It's a time for us to be on mission. But it's also a time to turn back. See, Jesus, he moves on now. He, he moves and he moves to another image. He moves to the topic of suffering. 
What are you to think about suffering? What are you to think about it? What do you think about suffering in this world? The Olympics is on at the moment and you watch the Olympics. You listen to the commentators as an Aussie wins gold or as they win bronze. You hear the commentators say they deserve that win. What they have been through to be here today, good on them. They deserve what they get. In a way, it's, sometimes we, it's good karma. It's karma. They're saying, well, good things should happen to good people. You know, they've been through such a tragedy, but look at the good that they've done. They deserve this. And, well, bad things should happen to those who have done bad things. And we can think, fuel, I've been spared because I've been pretty good. I've been spared of suffering because oh, surely I've done some good for God. I haven't stolen. I haven't, I haven't, you know, messed around. I haven't, you know, I've stayed away from alcohol. I, so, so, so surely suffering won't come my way. Oh, but even better, you know what? I've read my Bible seven days a week and I've had a devotion every day with prayer. And so surely because I've done that, surely all my kids will turn out well, won't suffer, won't go through anything bad because I've done all these things. We can think that. The world can think that. And then tragedy strikes. Suffering hits your world. You're confronted with death or you're confronted when cancer comes knocking. And when that happens, you start to think, what's happened in life? What have I done in life for that to eventuate to this? And you can start to question, what have I done so that this comes my way? Did I, not, did I miss out on reading my Bible one day? Was it not enough? Did I miss out on doing this? And so you beat yourself up thinking, has this suffering resulted because of sin or because I've been bad? And what Jesus is going to do now is we, he, he tells us that it's a time to turn back. He's going to turn our idea that good things should happen to good people and bad things should happen to bad people. He's going to turn the idea that suffering is directly linked to your personal sin. It appears, see, look at, look at verse 1. Now then, there was some present at that time who Jesus told about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, what seems to have happened is it's, it's, it's not exactly sure, but you know the Galileans, they've, they've got Passover, and so they're having celebrating Passover, and guess what happens? Pilate sends in the Roman soldiers. They turn up to this party. They're celebrating the Passover. The Romans walk in. They kill people. They slit them open. They gut them. They slit their throats. They drain them and bleed them of blood. And then they grab the blood that they have bled from these people and they mix it with the blood of the sacrifice and they mix it together and they pour it over the altar. Now that's tragic. It's confronting. It's horrific that something like that would happen. They brutally came in and killed those people. And they're hoping here that Jesus is going to comment on this moment in a way that they go, well, surely those Galileans, they sin more than us. Because in the first century, they had this idea that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people and that suffering was linked directly to their sin. Let's have a look at verse 2 and let's see what Jesus actually says. Verse 
Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And what's their answer going to be? Their, their answer is going to be, yeah, of course. But then Jesus, he gives, he gives another example a second time. Have a look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Of, the, of those 18 who died when you, your tower in Salom fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? They're going, well, of course. See, so we've got this tragic circumstance where... where, where um, Pilate, he has these people killed and sacrificed, the blood's poured everywhere. But here, it's, it's something different. It's, it's 18 men have, have headed out for the day. They've got their lunch pack on their back. They kiss their wives goodbye, hug their kids. They head to the construction site. They climb up the scaffolding and they think they're going to go home that day and tragedy strikes. And 18 people are killed when the tower fell over. What's Jesus' answer to that? Were they greater sinners? Were they worse? Let's have a look at what the creator of the universe says. What's he say there in verse 3? I tell you, no. But then have a look at verse 5. I tell you, no. And what's he say? But unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, in John chapter 9, we find exactly the same thing. That the people that ask Jesus, oh, you know, this, this man here, is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither. So they thought, oh, hang on, the reason that that person is suffering so much, the reason they're blind is because of their own direct actions of their own sin. I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, three or four years ago, my wife was struggling. Her tonsils had been plain. She's been having a lot of tonsillitis, lots of trouble, lots of things going on, and sick, fevers. And eventually the doctor said, hey, you need to get your tonsils out. Let's book you in. Someone who's a Christian said to her, you don't need to do that. Don't go and get your tonsils out. You just need to repent. There's something in your life that you have not repented of, and that's why you got tonsillitis. You, you don't need your tonsils. Just repent. What would Jesus say to that? No. 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 Now, there, the, the, now, 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 what Jesus is saying, now, sometimes there are direct links you know if you smoke pot right there is a direct link that's gonna cause you problems but generally what jesus is saying is that that your cancer isn't a direct link to a specific sin that you've done it's not that you're worse than the person who hasn't sinned See, as I've already mentioned, sin is a part of this world. It's actually a flow-on effect from Adam and Eve. It's actually a flow-on effect from our rebellion of God. In 2019, bushfires ravaged New South Wales. They actually ravaged Australia. And I remember some people 
said that's a response their response was well that's god's judgment on the state of new south wales because of the abortion bill what would jesus say it's not our place to say that are they worse sinners than us What are we? So then, okay. So what are we to do with this then? What are we to do with suffering? As we hear of tragedy of the earthquakes in, in Christchurch, or as you hear about a tsunami, or as you hear about the tragic murder of someone, what are we to do with that? Or as you hear of the news of, of, of cancer, what are, we to, what are we to do with that news? Well, here is our response. Jesus tells us how to respond. It's a time to turn back. So Jesus is not saying it's a he's not saying repent and you'll get better. What he's saying is that as you look at the world and the brokenness and the suffering and the things that happen, it's a reminder to you that it's a time to turn back. It's a time to turn back. It's a time to turn back. Repent, says Jesus. a time to turn around what is repentance repentance is a word we don't talk about much but here's what repentance is repentance i think it's a, a word that we avoid to use i think we need to use it more often but repentance is to renounce your old life and to pick up your new life in christ repentance is repentance leads to action it's actually turning back from something. It's turning the other way. Have you repented? What is what? what here's what what it looks like. In 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 2010, uh, we're headed off on our first as our first anniversary of wedding. We went, we went around Tasmania, and we're in Hobart. We're in our blue Subaru. Impreza sports wagon RX with a boxer motor. It's a great little car to drive around, all-wheel drive, and we're flying around Tassie. We get to Hobart. I'm driving in Tasmania. And so in Hobart, there's streets everywhere. And so we're in the middle of Hobart, and I turn right down this street, and there's about three lanes. And as I'm driving down this street, guess what's coming towards me? It was a one-lane street, and I was the wrong way. There was three lines of traffic coming towards me as I'm driving towards them. And so what did I have to do? I had to do a U-turn. I had to get up on the curb and turn around. And I didn't just stop there. It led and off we went. See, repentance is it's, it's to have a U-turn. It's to have a change. It's to, it's to renounce this old way of living under your self-rule and going, I'm going to repent and I'm going to start living under Jesus' rule. Have you turned from living your life under your rule to living your life under Jesus' rule? Have you repented? It's a big question that needs to be asked. Have you turned back? Have you turned back before it's too late? See, Jesus, he's, he's, he's speaking to the crowd in this moment. Have you repented? But I'm speaking to hopefully many people who have repented. 
But what does repentance look like? Repentance is far more than just saying, oh, whoops, I'm sorry I've hurt you. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is three things, roughly three things. Here it is. The first thing to repentance is confession. It's knowing in your mind that you have sinned against God. Confession is knowing that you have rebelled against His rule and that often you are leading your life your way. That's the first thing to part of it. It's confession. But the second part to repentance is also remorse and sorrow over your sin. It's actually feeling the emotional remorse and sorrow over the things that you have done in rebellion against God and towards others. But see, repentance doesn't even just stop there. The third thing, repentance leads to change in action. It's a resolve that we will go and sin no more. It's turning away from sin and turning towards the righteousness of God. Sometimes people just say, oh, I'm sorry. They're actually just sorry they got caught out. But see, repentance, it's actually going, yeah, I'm sorry, God, I've done this. It's confessing. It's going, and yet I know I am remorseful about it. And then it's leading to a change. It leads somewhere. Some of you blokes are just sorry that you got caught getting angry at your wife. And it leads to no change because you do it the next day. And you do it again and again and again and again. We have to repent with a turn back. As you look around in this lockdown, what are, what are, what are you to be thinking about? It's a, it's a time to turn back. And maybe you're watching right now and you're not right with God and you want to get right with God. This is the moment to do it. Today is the moment. Settle it now. Settle it now before it's too late. You may be going, well, what do I need to do to get right with God? Well, it's getting right with God. It's, it's confession. It's, it's remorse. It's turning. And it's, it's actually trusting in the finished work of Christ. It's, it's actually falling at the foot of the cross and going, I have nothing. I can do nothing to fix myself with God. And he's, he's, it's a hard way to, maybe this might help. It's, it's, it's coming to God as if you've just had a cardiac arrest and you're sitting on the floor of your bedroom and you are absolutely helpless. You cannot change the situation. You can do nothing except sit there and rest and trust in the doctors to change the circumstance. And that's what it means to come and trust Jesus. It's, it's going, no, I'm going to come and rest. I can do nothing. But rest and let Jesus do it all. But fourthly, it's a time of patience. Not only is God serious and he's going to bring about true justice for all the wrong things that we have done, but also God is incredibly patient with us and that's what this parable is about the parable of the vineyard Uh, it's talking about God's patience it's actually talking about God's patience with Israel directly that this nation of God's people it's his incredible patience with them with a nation that hasn't shown the fruit of repentance but as you dig deeper into parables there's actually here a meaning for us as well let me put the parable another way because it's about the fruit of repentance the owner of an, an orchard an orange orchard he lives in Sydney and he, so he heads out to Orange. He heads out to his 100 hectare orchard and he comes to inspect the trees. And so he talks to the manager. The manager, he hops in the manager and his little buggy and they go around, they look at the oranges and they go, look how 
beautiful and plump. Look how juicy, look how tasty that is. And they drive around the orchard and the owner comes to this tree. The manager brings him to this orange tree and, and, the, and the owner thinks to himself, but hang on, this tree for the last three years hasn't been bearing fruit. And, and, and as, any good, any, as any good business person will do, they go, well, if it hasn't done that for three years, cut it, cut it. We, 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 it's, it's, it's not producing what we need. And so he says to the manager, you need to cut this tree out. And it's a good thing to do, right? It's, it's business sense. But, but the manager says, no, no, just give me one more year. Give it one more year. I'll fertilize it. I'll dig around it. And let's see if it will bear the fruit. See, Jesus is talking about the fruit of repentance here. One more year. It's saying God is patient, but he's only patient for so long. And right now, as you're hearing me speak, maybe God is he's putting the manure around your roots and he's getting there and, and getting you to see the need of repentance. God is incredibly patient with us, but the patience is only there for so long. You never know, one day you may walk out of your house and hop in your car and not drive home. Maybe one day when you're out of lockdown, you go to work and you don't return. Maybe one day sickness hits you. Tragedy strikes. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, settle it now. Repent now. The time is right. Because God is patient, but one day he'll be cut. Have you repented? We, we see the incredible displeasure of God at sin here in this passage. And yet at the same time as we hold that up, we see the patience of an almighty God with us, wretched sinners. So as you sit down maybe and you watch Gladys Hour, or as you sit and you look at world history, or as you hear about another another earthquake or as you hear about being, people being killed or you hear about another tragedy in a family as you hear about great suffering or even the suffering that you're, you're facing right now what are we to do? What, what, what are we to think about in this moment? Well Jesus helps us to see that he says well actually it, it, it's a time of division I bring division one day I will bring peace we can have peace with God now but one day the lion and the lamb are going to sit down together but it's also a time to settle the score. It's a time to get right with God before it's too late. You don't want to go to that courtroom without having Jesus as your saviour. But thirdly, it's also a time to repent. You need to repent. You need to trust in Christ. You need to turn from your old way of life and to, to confess your sin, to feel remorse, and you need to have a change of, change of going, I'm going to sit under Jesus' rule in my life. But it's also a time of patience for so long. As confronting as this passage is, for us who follow Jesus, this is a glorious passage that the gospel is saturated in. Why? Because the divine judgment that Jesus talks about that he will bring is a divine judgment that you and me should have faced. But Jesus says, you know what? I have got my eyes set to Jerusalem. I am on a mission. I am going to go to the cross and I'm going to do that for you so that the divine judgment that you should have received and that you will, would have received from me on those last days, that divine judgment, I am going to go and face it myself in your place at the cross so that you won't have to. So that as the sky goes dark and as Jesus is nailed to that cross, 
And as God pours, the Father pours his wrath on his son and Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We never have to hear those words to us because Jesus has gone through it for us. Maybe before I pray, maybe you're here and, you, and you've gone, Yep, I've, I realize I need to get right with God. And you've, you know you need him. I'm going to say prayer. I'm going to say it slow. And if you believe those words, maybe you want to say them with me as a great way to confess before God right now. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to get right with God and you know it. And if you truly believe these words, well, then you truly are a Christian. If it comes from the heart. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray a prayer. Uh, I'm going to pause for a bit and you're welcome to, to say those words yourself if you believe them. Let me pray. Almighty God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you. And ignoring you. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. That I may be forgiven. Thank you that you rose from the dead. to give me life and set me free. Please forgive me and change me. That I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Maybe... That's you today for the first time you've gone, yep, I need Jesus and I've come and I've rested at the foot of the cross. We'd love you to let us know that so that we can encourage you, disciple you because it's a wonderful thing to know Jesus. I love you guys. I can't wait till we get to be in person again, um, but look forward to that.